This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. Fiction and nonfiction, graphic novels, and more. We're here to help you find something great to read. Hello and welcome to Books and Nachos, the Vinganza Media podcast about all things in print. I'm Stuart in L.A., and you've reached our sixth installment in the Philip K. Dick book podcast series. That's corresponding with our now-playing Philip K. Dick movie podcast series. Every work that Hollywood has adapted, I'm going to read and review for you here at Books and Nachos, and that brings us to Paycheck which is also the source material for the Ben Affleck, Uma Thurman, John Woo movie being reviewed over at Now Playing. Paycheck is one of our earliest works being covered. It was written in 1952 and published the next year. It's only about 36 pages. It definitely has the earmarks of a brilliant writer in their early phases. You get trace elements of all the major Philip K. Dick themes, one's mind and the motives being a mystery to oneself, the oppressive governments trying to nab you for unknown reasons, general paranoia stuff, all that stuff we've seen in lots of Philip K. Dick works now. It's all here, but it's not quite as detailed as we've seen in some of the later or better stories. It's a good chase, and I like the hook. The story begins with an electrical engineer named Jennings waking up in New York City, and it's been two years since he got on an elevator after accepting an offer from the Rethrick Construction Company to work for them on a top-secret project. Now, the way that Rethrick Construction ensures discretion and, more to the point, protects its secrets from being leaked out into the world, not only to protect itself from other companies, but more specifically from a government that is desperate to know what it's doing, they can erase your memory. And that's exactly what they have done to Jennings. The two years that he served with them under contract have been totally wiped. And now he is showing up in their headquarter office in New York to get his paycheck. And what he thought he was going to get was 50,000 credits. And what he ends up getting handed by a flirtatious secretary named Kelly is an envelope with what appears to be junk. A piece of string, a green strip of cloth, a poker chip, a bus token, etc. Dusex machina is a phrase often used when authors have the solution come about inorganically. A problem is solved simply by introducing something that magically fixes it all. And this story is sort of built on that. But it takes the premise that that's the fascinating part because Jennings doesn't know what it's for. Or rather, Jennings in the present day doesn't know what it's for. He has agreed to forfeit his paycheck in order to receive these items because the Jennings prior to his memory wipe knew that these items would be the thing that gets him ultimate economic freedom. Not just a paycheck, but a change of life forever. And how that happens? Well, you know, 
I, I got to say, it's a conceit. We got to go along with it. Just because someone hands me a spool of wire does not mean that when I have been arrested in police custody, that I know that that means I need to use it on the door, escape, and then use the bus token that was also in the envelope to hop on the next bus away. It, there's a lot of gray area there. To me, I guess maybe I need a little bit more hand-holding. I don't think I could have figured out, deduced from these little clues what it was I was supposed to do. Now, some of them were clever. I like the fact that one of them is half of a ticket stub to a theater that ends up being in Iowa and that leads him back to where the factory that he worked in, the top secret factory, was in Iowa. That was a cool way of letting us know where he had been. But I'm not so sure that I understand why he would be allowed to have made the swap to begin with. You're a company. You obviously are valuing your secrecy. One of your employees, who's obviously a very smart man, says, you know, I don't think I want to get paid for these two years. Can you just hand me this envelope of junk? And it includes a worker armband and a security door code key. I would ask questions. I I don't understand why they would even allow this swap to have happened. It seems like that would be my policy to honor the contract and say, no, I mean, sure, companies are greedy, and I guess that's the what we're supposed to go along with is the company was just happy not to have paid him at all. But couldn't you have anticipated that a smart electrical engineer knew something when he was giving himself key codes to your building? Anyway, one of the things I did really like about this is how it pits corporations, company mentality against government mentality. We see that early on after Jennings Lee's rhetoric constructions offices and says, why did I allow this swap? And we're even thinking maybe the company has tricked him. Maybe they made him think that he wanted this when in fact they just didn't want to pay him. He's picked up by the secret police and that's when he uses the wire to escape from them. But we get the sense that the secret police really is trying to meddle with what's going on in rhetoric construction. And I I really thought this was cool. It's it's a relatable position for all of us. I mean, it's a guy, a commoner who's trapped between government and corporation. And all he can hope to do is get his piece of the pie. And, you know, you have the government that's trying to limit the power of the corporation with rules and the corporation trying to subvert those rules underhandedly with their innovation. There's actually a quote Jennings says, and I think he puts it better than I could. And it is, an individual has no place to turn to anymore, no one to help him. He's caught between two ruthless forces, a pawn between political and economic powers, and I'm tired of being a pawn. Amen, brother. I get that. That's, I think anyone that collects a workaday pay gets that sense. So for that reason alone, we're rooting for Jennings. Even though we don't really know who he is, because of the memory wipe, he seems like a, like a newborn. And as we go along, he sort of creates the, the perception that he's kind of a devious person. I'm not sure I would have liked the guy had we started the story before the memory wipe. He's greedy. He's trying to undermine this company because what we find out is that he was working on a device that can see into the future and even has this claw apparatus that can grab things from the future and pull it back in time. And he, right before the memory wipe, had perfected that and then disenabled 
hold the mirror so that no one else would know. I don't know. It's a little hazy. The whole Future Sing project was kind of a left turn that I'm not sure how I felt about. But he did all of this by looking into the future. He saw the things that he would need in order to lead him back to the company and say, you're going to pay me more than my two years of salary. I have documents that I can leak to the government. And if the government finds out you're building a future seeing device, they'll shut you down because that's obviously a threat to national security. It goes beyond the bounds of what private industry can do. So he's trying to corner rhetoric right at the end of this by saying, hey, I've got you. I've come back. I've figured out what it is that I did. And I have the proof that I can turn you in. And I'm blackmailing you into giving me a cut of the business. He wants not only money, but he wants to be a part of rhetoric construction. And here's where I really became unclear as to what Philip K. Dick was trying to accomplish. So this is where I I start to feel like, well, this is a green writer that hasn't quite nailed what it is he's about yet, because there's all of this speechifying by rhetoric, trying to justify that this his company has been in there for generations and that he's part of his grandfather and all have been part of a movement of, I guess you... They're not quite sleeper cells, but they're revolutionaries and they want to overthrow this government and they are building the weapons needed for a future generation to take their land back. And in many ways, they're providing the tools to do exactly what Jennings claims he wants to do. But uh, Rethrick is, is convinced that he wants to keep it in the family. And it turns out that the flirtatious secretary at the beginning that Jennings was kind of using to get back to where he had been working at the future device was the daughter of Rethrick and they've gotten his plans away from him and, and have put them away in a secret place. But Jennings has the last laugh because he could even see that. He could have anticipated that with the future device as well and snatches it back from them in a very kind of convoluted last couple of paragraphs. It's hard to know because I didn't really have any negative feelings about the government or the construction company, or rather, it might be more accurate to say I didn't like one any more than the other, so I didn't know who to root for, and when we get this last-minute referendum on why rhetoric construction is actually doing good, I don't know whether to believe them or not. And so in the end, all I can really appreciate the story for is being clever and using the Desex Machina to kind of create a fun little reverse mystery in which someone finds out who they are and what they did through happenstance of a bunch of devices. One more thing I'd like to make comment, because I have read a few Philip K. Dick stories now, is I'm not really satisfied with his portrayal of women. Now, I know it was the 1950s and that the women's movement was just starting to burgeon, that it's not surprising that Philip K. Dick wouldn't have a very progressive view of women, and I'm not going to judge him on that. But these characters are always so dull. I mean, here you have this Kelly girl, and she's just fawning over our lead character, and then we find out she might be duplicitous. You know, usually the women in the stories do have a dark, seductive side, but they have no desires of their own. And in the end, she's just working for her father and trying to do what her father wants. And I just think... Bah, I, I really hope at some point one of these stories has a really interesting female character because it's getting a little old, the fact that it's always these men that do everything and women that try and trick them. I don't know. 
Certainly not going to change it in paycheck, but that's that. In the end, I feel like this is a bag of tricks, and you can do what you want with it, much like the conceit of the story. It's not an obvious storyline for a movie, but it's a good idea. It's a good jumping-off point. I haven't seen Paycheck, the Ben Affleck movie yet. I'm hopeful that they can do some fun with it, kind of like how Total Recall took the germ of that story and made it the first half hour and then did a, a fun little crazy conspiracy on Mars. Maybe Paycheck can take a bag full of nonsense and find a plot for a feature film. I don't know. You can join us over at nowplayingpodcast.com and, and hear my thoughts on that film. Meanwhile, we're going to be heading into A Scanner Darkly, our longest work. It's 220 pages, so give yourself some time to read it. And we'll be back next week to cover A Scanner Darkly. Join me then. Thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, Please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can catch back episodes at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is copyright 2010, Venganza Media Incorporated.